in an admission that you are God and we are not. Thank you, Father, for your word. We ask, Father, that you would give us a spirit of humility and open ears to hear it. And we ask your blessing now on Pastor Michael as he comes to deliver it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, I appreciate y'all's patience today. Uh, no reason to be alarmed. I'm not Richard Dick, but uh, he, he's not here, so we'll assume the best that I have a late elder meeting or something. He's just been a little delayed or something like that, and uh, we'll check on him. So won't make any uh, real pretense that uh, uh, there's going to be as much in-depthness as what he would have done, but that doesn't matter because Ephesians uh, 6 here is one of those great passages that if you suddenly find yourself on the short list of teachers to teach, it kind of teaches itself, so you don't need to uh, go down deep and stay down long about it. So let's go ahead and to the passage here. Can I get that slide? Or I'm doing it, huh? Okay. There. All right, it's with my eyes, it's going to be easier to read from the slide. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your earthly masters with fear and trembling, and singleness of heart as to Christ, not in the way of service as men-pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same again from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. Masters do the same to them and forbear threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your clear teaching. We would study it today and that we would then very practically live to your glory uh, in our relationships with one another, with our family, and with those with whom we work. We ask it in your name. Amen. All right, well, you know, the beauty of uh, children is that it's uh, not age-specific. Uh, I... Uh, I've lost both my parents at age 62 and all, but until I lost my mom a couple of years ago or something, you're always a child. It doesn't matter uh, how old you are. And so this command is one of those that goes through, uh, through life with you here. And I do like the way that Paul points out the practicality of it, that when it's being written there in the Ten Commandments about honoring your uh, parents, honoring your father and mother, he gives you the punch right up front that it's the first one that gives you a promise. And the promise is that, It'll go well with you. Who doesn't want that to happen? That you're going to have a long life as a result. So it's a very practical promise. Uh, now the question comes up, how do you honor your parents? Uh, it's one thing when you're six. It's one thing when you're 60. It changes along the way. So how do you honor your parents? And if you delve down into the word uh, here about honor, it's going to have the idea of respect. It's going to have the idea of taking into account who they are and speaking to them, acting toward them positively in a uh, respectful and uh, sort of right manner. And I think that that changes sometimes uh, as the parents get a little older. 
it's natural to have the teenage years, which some of y'all are right in the midst of, where they start stretching their wings and they start wanting to get ready to fly, and you have to start getting ready for them to express themselves. Sometimes not so well. Uh, you have to remember back that, you know, unlike uh, the way they're doing it, I'm sure you did it perfectly when you were a teenager and you started expressing yourself and getting ready to fly the coop and all. But Coffee's Law, <clears throat> I told my kids uh, a number of things uh, during uh, that phase of life. Number one, you are not the first person that's ever been born here in this uh, world that did not have a sin nature. And so remember, uh, remember that when you're talking to your mother here. I would also remind them that I chose her as the wife of my youth. Uh, I plan to end with her, and you will be going on with whatever life you're carving out. So if you force me into a trick box to pick between you and her, I've already made that decision, <laughs> and you lose. So my advice to you is to get back in there and dialogue with her and keep the dialogue opening uh, all the way through. And I think that sometimes... Uh, as they get a little bit older, they realize now, you know, the old man was uh, not quite as dumb as we thought he was. There is a sense that part of the respect is to dialogue with them. And as I said, that changes. It changes because your relationship with your parents changes. And then there's, you know, at age 62, having lost both my parents. Oh, good. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I was just on a roll, but uh, <laughs> after you get your coat off, come on up here, and we'll uh, we'll make uh, my uh, final uh, point or two while you're walking uh, on up here and all. But I appreciate uh, appreciate you uh, persevering in here, Richard. I know you had a late night last night uh, with an elder meeting stuff, so come on up here and take the rest of your time. Yeah. <laughs> There's your passage there. Thanks. Well, you need to practice. You need to serve. Father, uh, you are so gracious. Um, I just think about, you know, if, if this were some other venue or if there were a three star sitting, uh, sitting in his office waiting for me, the reception wouldn't be quite as good. But it's a body of Christ, and uh, we sit before you, the God of the universe. Father, I pray that you would be honored this time to accomplish all that you want to accomplish in me and in each man here. Pray in Jesus' name. Okay. Um, am I still on? Am I on? Yeah, there we go. Okay. So. Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So children, it's interesting that Paul writes to children because nowhere else really in the Roman world would you see that happen. John Stott makes this point that, that children, of course, were completely chattel. They were like property or slaves. And we, it's interesting that he couples children and slaves here because uh, a father could order his children or his slaves, executed at the ultimate, at the ultimately, and just taken out of the picture completely. But here, Paul, far from doing that, 
talks to, as we saw in husbands and wives, the reciprocal obligations between parents and children, between masters and slaves, just as he talked between husbands and wives. So this word obey, I put you put a lot of notes in here, and you're going to, obviously I'm sort of trying to get uh, still a little scattered, but I put a lot of notes in here. You'll see it's fairly long, uh, the part that I gave you, because I'm going to spend a little more time talking about some things that God put on my heart, particularly on the relationship between parents and children. So that, that word obey, really, the focus of that word is not what we do, it's what we listen to. It's from a word called to hearken or to, to uh, pay attention to. So the focus is not what our children do, it's the fact that they, they look toward us and they pay attention to us. Honor. That word there, and I give it to you in here, is this issue of looking at us from the standpoint of regarding us highly and valuing us. It's an inner attitude more than merely external obedience. And this theme of external obedience is going to come up again when we get to slaves, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time on it. Well, not quite a bit of time. We don't have quite a bit of time. And then uh, that word there... Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And this I wanted to spend a little bit of time between these con this concept of honor and this concept of provoke. We've probably all been in situations with our children, those of us who have children, where you can feel the temperature rising in him or her and in you. Whose responsibility is it to control that temperature? And that's really Paul's point here. It's yours. Us as fathers, the word that when we, he talks about fathers, fathers here um, in verse 4, the word that he's used there is also a word that can be translated parents. But I really, and Stott makes a lot of this, but I really prefer not to focus on that. The really, the focus of the passage is on us, us as dads, or in situations where God's opened up doors for us to act in that part to another family for us as uh, sort of in loco parentis. So he looks at us and says, it's your responsibility to superintend and to manage interactions in this relationship. So not provoking your children to anger. One of the questions I wanted to answer or ask, and you'll see it toward the end, is how do I honor my parents, mine are gone, but for you, and then how do I help my children honor his or her parents? I'm talking to you in this regard because I made a lot of mistakes on this, and I'm at a point where really I can look backward and forward. For many of you, those, those that have families, for many of you, you, you have small children, uh, and your, ch your parents really live in lives independent of you. But you're going to come into a place, and several of us are here already, Joel, for example, Joe, others, where you have to decide how you're going to honor your parents, and you're going to have to help your children to honor you. So how do I honor my parents? Well, one of them, 
one of the ways, one of many ways, is speak respectfully about them and to them. Most of us are pretty good at speaking respectfully to them, but we may not be very good at about speaking respectfully about them. When I talk about my parents, I need to make sure that when I converse about them with others, I'm doing it in an honest fashion, but in a respectful fashion, because that conditions my own thinking. It helps me decide how I'm going to, to uh, consider my parents as I move forward and continue to interact with them. Also, to forbear, to choose not to respond out of emotion, to help uh, to inform, to allow them to help where appropriate, to give each other space, to be solicitous of them while being respectful of them. This is really tough when our parents get older. This didn't happen to me, but it is happening to a number of you. How do I care appropriately for my parents? What limits do I place? Where do I draw boundaries, both between that, for them and for me? How far do I intrude into their lives? I need to remember that before God, they're still my parents. We'll talk, um, well, you can see in the passage a little bit later, that the responsibility given to fathers doesn't terminate until one of us is gone. I stay a father the, my whole life. The role changes, but uh, nonetheless, responsibility remains. Similarly, in my relationship with my parents, obviously, they stay my parents as long as they live or as I do. But I need to relate to them in more positive and encouraging and adult ways as they age and I do but they're still sovereign beings before God as long as they remain capable of doing that. I also need, and this is a tough one, I need to let them participate in care decisions to the maximum extent that they can. It's very frustrating. Again, my parents died fairly quickly, but for many of you, you're living through this now in a situation that's very uncomfortable because your parents want things that you and perhaps your siblings are convinced are not good for them. And where do I draw the line about putting a barrier in and saying, no, you can't do this. No, you can't. A friend of mine's doing this even this week. No, you can't live by yourself anymore. It's not safe. And that may well be true. But how do I respect my parents' sovereignty while keeping them as safe as I can. So those are some of the ways that I need to work through uh, honoring my parents. How do I help my children honor their parents, that is, their mother especially, and me? Same thing. I start off with the same phrase, as you'll see in your notes. I communicate respectfully to and about them. It doesn't mean I don't speak sternly if I need to, but I don't disparage them especially in their hearing, but even not. Even when they're not there or I think they're not there, I still communicate respectfully to them as beings created in the sight of God. I recognize and acknowledge their growth and their maturity, even if imperfect. I think you, the parents, the fathers here of young children, you're probably doing a lot better at this than I did. 
every achievement, it doesn't mean we give participation awards and big trophies and that sort of thing necessarily, but it does mean that if my child has done something to, to demonstrate progress, I can celebrate that and encourage them in it. I also hold them accountable while recognizing youth and inexperience. And this is even harder when the children are adults or approaching adulthood, especially teens. Sounds like we have some experience in the audience. So. I express pride and love in their achievements, but I express pride and love even more in who they are, in them as people, in them as children of God, and in them as my children. And this is something that I've really struggled with, especially with boys, our two boys. They don't always make great decisions. That's, I'm probably the only guy in the room that that's been true for. So, um, but how do I, but I need to, seize every opportunity to express my encouragement and pride with them and build them up. The world will spend the rest of their lives trying to tear them down. I need to give them a good foundation, particularly after I'm gone, to build them up. If they're adults, to communicate them with, with them as adults. I need to respect their space and their decision, and that goes both ways, both with my parents and with my children. Respect their space and their decisions. I need to recognize that they are not, and really never have been, particularly as adult children, but they never have been my project. I'm responsible to charge them to walk with God, to train them up. And we spend a lot of time on that, talking about it and hopefully doing it. But the outcome is never in my hands. Even as small children, but particularly as adults, it is not in my hands. And we will end up with a lot of stomach acid expended unnecessarily if we try to take that into adulthood especially. They will make choices. Odds are good that they will make choices, not all of which are good for them or good for other people. How do I handle that? Well, with, with uh, my wife and I, it's actually, that's probably one of the things, it is one of the things we talk about the very, very most. We pray about it. We pray while we're doing it. We pray afterwards. We don't say much. Um, if given the opportunity, if asked for input, obviously we give it. If not given the opportunity and the situation is particularly dangerous, then obviously we make those inputs, even if it's not particularly welcome. But then we leave it to God, because it has to be left there. Um, they're adults, they have their own decisions to make, and the outcomes are in his hands. In, I give you uh, some references here. Let me see if I can find it in here. Yeah, in Genesis 18, 19, God holds Abraham responsible not for what his children do, but for Abraham's charge to his parents, or to his children, rather. Abraham was responsible for training them. He wasn't responsible for their obedience. Obviously, we're ta not talking about small children and, and parental responsibility, but ultimate outcome of their lives was not Abraham's job. Similarly with our kids, 
not our jobs. Do the best we can and release them to God's care, in whose care they've been all the time. Okay, to try to give you plenty of time for discussion, I want to try to, to uh, push through that. I, I did want to cover those because, again, I'm looking back on, I mean, I'm not that old, despite what you think, uh, and Bob Fimiani, I know, thinks that I'm much older than I am, but nonetheless, I'm still, uh, I want to try to help you to avoid some of the pitfalls that I've run into over life. So, uh, just a couple things more because we're right at 6.30. So, slaves, could you go to the picture? Who is this guy? There's no reason you would know. This is Samuel Morse. Morse code, the telegraph, all that stuff. First practical telegraph. I put him up here because he was a, he was a dedicated believer, strong, really strong in the scriptures, a Calvinist. He's up here because he's a great example of a blind spot. Okay, Samuel Morse was not a slave owner, he, but he was a very prominent defender, Christian defender of slavery. He felt that the scriptures indicated that slavery was an appropriate institution and spent quite a bit of time before the Civil War uh, speaking about it. I just wanted to warn us that we can have blind spots like that, too. I mean, Morse, as far as I know, was a, was a good guy. He's certainly very talented. He's an artist as well as an inventor. But he missed it. He was spending time in the scriptures, but he thought what he thought was wrong. We can fall into the same thing. That's why being here, places like this, is really important. We can have blind spots, too, things where we're convinced we're right. We even look at the Scriptures and say, we're right, and we're not. And we need to listen to our enemies as well as our friends, because sometimes they can point out to us we're headed in the wrong direction. So we don't want to get caught. It's not that we don't want to get caught on the wrong side of history. History is his story. We want to get caught on the right side of God and make sure that we're there. Okay, could you go back to the text for a second? Okay, you've, heard, you've uh, actually heard this text preached a lot before. Uh, that word trembling, I give you a, what I think is a, is a peachy definition of it. It's really someone who looks at, it's not the idea I'm trembling before my boss, certainly. It's not that I, the idea that I'm trembling before God, even although that's in every place where you see someone confronted with God and even a fraction of his greatness, that's usually the reaction, is that fear and trembling. The idea here is that someone who looks at a situation and says, I am not sure I can do this, but I'm going to give it my very best, dependent on God and moving into the situation without pride, to accomplish the mission I've been given. And that's the attitude that Paul's talking about here in terms of how we go into a slave situation, how we go into our jobs. So, okay, 632. Could you go to the questions now, please?
okay, with my children on that spectrum between discipline and instruction of the Lord, with discipline being sort of instruction is more verbal communication, between that on one hand and provoking to anger, not controlling the temperature of the interaction. Where am I on that? Particularly for those of you with smaller children still at home. And then how am I, I, might I honor my parents better? And another one that we don't think about quite as much is how can I honor my wife's parents better? Several of us, Joe Terry and others, were at a wedding this past weekend uh, for a missionary in our church. And in, in that case, uh, the man who was getting married was a widower. His family, his parents were gone. He actually had the in-laws from his first marriage. The relationship was so good that they acted as his parents for the purpose of the wedding. As Carol commented, my wife commented, only in the body of Christ could that have happened. So how do I honor my wife's parents? And then how can I serve my, the obvious question for, for each of us, except me because I'm retired. Um, how, can I serve my, how can I serve my boss better? And even more to the point, how can I serve my subordinates better? And the guys that I look to for models in this are infantry officers, infantry officers and Marines. You guys are the, the last ones down at night, the first ones up. You're the last to eat in the chow line. You have had to live day to day in this issue of how I serve my subordinates, because that's how the mission succeeds, is how well you serve your men. Lead them, yes, but how serve them too. Okay, back to your tables. And again, thank you for your forgiveness.